Bibles, if you would please, and open them to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. Gospel of Matthew chapter 2. It's not often that we have a Sunday morning service on Christmas Day. I think most people probably, I think there are a lot of Christian people that dread this because when you have Christmas on Sunday, it sort of throws the scheduling off, throws off the Christmas presents, throws off the the Christmas dinner and all of that. And so I think some folks think, think it's a little bit too inconvenient to have a Christmas service or have Christmas on Sunday. But if you think of that from a spiritual standpoint, what better day could there be to celebrate the birth of Christ than on a Sunday morning? And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for this, that God didn't think it was just a little bit too inconvenient to have Jesus come on the day that he came, and so he decided to hold it up one day longer. Well, God didn't do that. The one thing the world needs the most is a Savior, and he came into the world at just the right time. The book of Galatians says that in the fullness of time, Christ came. And so, in other words, the timing of Jesus' birth was exactly when it was supposed to be. Now, last night in our Christmas service, I, I read the Christmas story from the book of Luke. And this morning, we're going to look at this as it's recorded in Matthew. And it's fitting that we should look at Matthew's record of the birth of Christ because uh, by now you're quite familiar with the way that Matthew presents uh, Jesus Christ and the life of Christ. You're familiar with the way that he will deal with Christ's life. And that's because we've been studying in the book of Matthew for the past three years. And it's Matthew's purpose to present Jesus as the long-promised Messiah. His purpose is to prove his kingship. And he does that beginning in chapter 1 with a genealogy that emphasizes the descent of Jesus through the lineage of David. Now, the first verse of Matthew says, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so being very familiar with Old Testament prophecies that God would not leave the throne of David vacant, but he would ensure that David's throne would be an everlasting throne, that leads Matthew to emphasize in a very dramatic way how that Jesus would be the one that would establish an everlasting kingdom and would take his place upon that throne. And that's the part of the story that I'd like to deal with today and that opens up to us in the second chapter of Matthew. And I think we have here as our reading to begin at uh, verse number 1 in Matthew 2, but we're going to go back a little bit further so we get the entire Christmas story that Matthew records. So if you'll go back to verse number 18 in chapter 1, that's where I want to begin reading. If you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's Word. And if you, uh, this is a rather lengthy reading here, so if you're not able to stand, that's all right. Just take your place there and follow along with us. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord 
spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus." Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, And when ye have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Father, we thank you for this great story that we read from your word. We pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your message that you would have us to hear today. Speak to us, Lord, and we just give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the opening verses of the second chapter of Matthew, Matthew records the story of Christ that we don't find in the other gospel accounts. We don't find this in the book of Mark, and neither do we find a genealogy of Christ in Mark because the purpose of the writer is a little bit different than that of Matthew. Mark shows us that Christ was a suffering servant, And since he's dealing with that aspect of Christ's work on earth and that part of his character, talking about the humility of Christ, it wasn't necessary for him to include this genealogy. No one is really interested in the heritage of a servant. Uh, Records of the ancestry of slaves are, are not kept. And so Mark's purpose is different, and so he doesn't give us the genealogy. Luke looks at the birth of Christ also in a little bit different way because he presents Jesus as the Son of Man. And it was important to Luke that he would include the genealogy and taking that all the way back to Adam to show us where Christ came from, that he was a man. And of course, that fits in with the scriptures because a little bit later we read in the epistle to the Romans that the apostle Paul called Jesus Christ the second man or actually the the second Adam. And he's the head of a new spiritual race that has come to God by faith. But as we look at Matthew, Matthew's purpose is kingship. 
His purpose is to show us that Jesus had the right to sit on David's throne. And so he emphasizes the importance of the proper descent of his kingship. And we have this story in addition to what we read in the book of Luke because there is a recognition here that Jesus Christ is truly a king. And this comes from the wise men, a group of men that came to visit Jesus. They came to the place where he was and they bowed to worship him because they knew he was the God and their king. Now, I want you to notice first as we look into this story, the search for the king. In the first verse of this chapter, we read, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now in chapter 1, as I've already stated, Matthew dealt with the lineage of Christ. If there is anyone qualified to sit upon Israel's throne, then there has to be a record of that proper descent. The Jews would never have accepted Christ as the Messiah, Jesus as a king, if he could not trace his parentage back through David. But there were many people that could actually trace their lineage to David. Many people were living that were descendants of him. And so if Jesus is a king, then there has to be a response to that kingship. Someone has to recognize that everything is in order, that the proper uh, birth is the, the birth and so forth, and where he is to be born, everything about him has to be according to Scripture. It has to be in agreement that this person who is to sit upon this throne can establish all of the criteria, all the rights to the kingship. Now, as you know, as we are have been studying all the way into the 11th chapter of Matthew in our regular study, that recognition of Jesus as the man as a king required inspired teachings. It required many mighty miracles. Uh, It required uncommon acts that were prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, things that people had no explanation for, except that these are miracles that must come from God. But here in the beginning of Matthew, Jesus is a baby. There's no opportunity for miracles. There's no opportunity for him to do anything because the Son of God had voluntarily subjected himself to a human birth and to a human growth process which made him appear to be not much different from thousands of babies that were born. And even more difficult was the circumstances of his birth. He was born into a poor family. Uh, He was born in a place where no king is born in a stable a place where animals are born and not royalty. And yet with all of these great disadvantages, God is very careful as we open the scriptures here in this second chapter, and there he chooses these men to come from this far country to declare Jesus as a king, to come and bow before him and worship him as their God. And these men were quite significant. The Bible calls them wise men. And that's a term that comes from the Greek word magos, which some translations have transliterated into the word magi. So these were men that lived to the east of Israel. They were a part of a tribe of Medes that were a hereditary priesthood. And this was a tribe of priests that had become very prominent in both the Babylonian and the Medo-Persian empires. They were men that were of great skill and learning. They'd mastered a variety of disciplines such as science and agriculture and mathematics. They were astrologers. 
And in many cases, they were masters of the occult. And they were so highly regarded and so highly ranked that they'd risen to such prominence that there were no kings in the Parthian Empire at that time that could ascend to the throne without the permission, without the approval of these wise men. And so in a sense, these men were responsible for the coronation of kings. And they'd held that position for centuries through several different empires. And through their diligent research, they had discovered that a king would be born in Israel, and this king would supersede all that came before him. Now, it's interesting, as we think about these wise men coming far off from the, um, from the east of Jerusalem, how did they understand that this king was coming? They weren't Jews. They weren't necessarily disposed to study Hebrew scriptures, but they recognized there was a king born. So how did they get that information? Well, this is really another of the amazing acts of God's providence in preparing the world for the Messiah. You see, God never does anything by accident. And certainly, there are none of you that are believers that are here today by accident. It's not by some fortuitous event that you have become a child of God because your salvation is an act of God's providence. And so we ought not to think that when we read this story of the most significant event in history up until that time, that this occurred because of a series of random perchance happenings and all of that developed into what we now have as the Christmas story. Now, these wise men came to Israel as an act of God. And we see that by them following a star that had been specially prepared by God that brought them to Bethlehem. But it goes back even further than that because God had providentially provided a teacher for these magi. And their teacher was the great Old Testament prophet named Daniel. 600 years before the Babylonians conquered Israel, the brightest and the best 600 years, I should say, before this, the Babylonians had conquered Israel, and the brightest and best of the Israelites were deported to Babylon, and Daniel was among these deportees that were sent to to Babylon. And Daniel was a very wise man. His wisdom rivaled that of just about any in the world at that time. He was as wise, almost as wise as Solomon. And in God's providence, Daniel was given special gifts that were recognized by the kings of Babylon and the Medes and the Persians. And in those empires, Daniel rose in the rank of the government until he was the chief of the Magi. Daniel 5 verse 11 says that Nebuchadnezzar had made Daniel the master of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. That's the Magi. And so Daniel was regarded as the wisest of all, and Daniel is the one who gave us all of these great prophecies in the book of Daniel that told about the rise and fall of world empires and of the ascendancy of the king of kings. And that was taught to this tribe of priests, all of these things that God would do. And if you study the scriptures, you'll find that Daniel provided the exact timing of when Christ would come. I'm not going to go into that now, but in our Revelation study, we saw how that Daniel gave the date of Christ's appearance. He said that 483 years after Cyrus had given an official decree that Jerusalem would be rebuilt, then the Messiah would come. And so they could begin to count forward from that time. 
For 600 years, they'd regarded that wisdom of Daniel, and these men had learned about the coming of this great king in Israel. They were sensitive to that 483 years, and when that time had passed since Cyrus' decree, it was in that year that these wise men began to look for some sign that this great king was born. And so being astrologers, they looked into the heavens, they searched the heavens for signs, and at the proper time, there was a brilliant star that appeared over the west to the land of Israel. And they knew it was time then for them to leave and to make that long journey to come and crown the newborn king. And so that was their purpose in God's providence, in his providential plan that they would give the recognition to Jesus as a king. Now, all of that, to me at least, is a very fascinating story. The fall of Israel to Babylon was no accident. You can read the prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah. You can read about God taking Daniel into Babylon. None of that was an accident because all of that was preparation for this time when these wise men, knowing this story, would come and they would find this king born in Bethlehem and they would declare him as such. Now, this is such an intriguing story that the very first words that are spoken in the New Testament by humans is this question found in verse number 2. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Now, we have another interesting part of the story that's been obscured and misconstrued for quite some time. In fact, we just sang a little bit of the misinformation just a moment ago in one of the songs that we sang, and that's the size of the caravan, the size of the caravan. Verse 1 says, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. I remember those of you that have been with us in our Matthew study, I commented on this word, behold. This is a word that means to sit up and pay attention because I'm about to tell you something that's shocking. In the 8th chapter of Matthew, Matthew records that there was a leper that came to Jesus. And Matthew said, Behold, a leper came and worshipped him. And Matthew used that word behold because lepers didn't approach people. Lepers were outcasts. Lepers didn't mix with people. And so he said, Behold, I'm going to tell you something that just does not happen. And here, in this second chapter, Matthew says, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, why is that so shocking? Why does he say, pay attention to this? Well, if you've read or watched Christmas plays and you follow the nativity scenes that you see around, this really wouldn't be very shocking at all for people. Matthew, according to those scenes, would not have had to say, Behold, because it wouldn't be shocking. Jerusalem was a well-known city. There were people that came from everywhere. People were coming to Jerusalem all of the time, especially at Passover time. Jerusalem would swell to many thousands of people, doubling, tripling, quadrupling its population because people would come from all parts of the world to celebrate Passover. People came from Jerusalem from everywhere because it was the center of worship. The temple was there. All of the Jews that had been dispersed in the different captivities at those particular feast times of the year, they would come to Jerusalem. So it wasn't unusual at all to see foreign faces, to see someone that you didn't know. That wasn't strange that you would see those kinds of people come to Jerusalem. Now in nativity scenes, there are three guys that show up on three camels and they come looking for Jesus. And when I was in the fourth grade... It was still possible for public schools to have Christmas plays, and we had one. 
And so when I was in the fourth grade, I was chosen to play one of the wise men. And I remember that my mom bought a blue bathrobe and she made a paper crown for me to wear and that was supposed to represent one of the wise men that came to see Jesus. And so like most Christmas plays, we had three wise men and we came to the scene at the manger and one of the girls in the class there was playing Mary and we came to present our gifts. And those three gifts that were brought to Jesus have caused people to think that there were three wise men. But the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, you know, some of the wise men actually have been given names. I don't even remember what they are because you won't find them in the Bible, but they were given names. But the Bible doesn't tell us there were three wise men that came to see Jesus. Instead, I think it was very much different from that because history shows us that these priests, these wise men that traveled were dressed to the nines in their special priestly garments. They would come with those garments flowing in the wind. They would ride in on the finest majestic horses. They would come into town accompanied by the finest of Persian troops. There may have been a hundred of these wise men that came to see Jesus and nearly an army that paraded into town with them. That explains verse number 3. It says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. That's because when these fellows came into town, they made quite a stir. It was uncommon to see something like this in Jerusalem. These are the wisest men in the world. They're representatives of foreign powers. These are men that come to crown kings, and they had come to Jerusalem asking a question, where is this king? Where is the king of Jews? And so you can bet, as we read here, that Herod was troubled by that. This is why Matthew says, Behold, here come these guys riding into town, the dust kicking up, possibly hundreds of them with all these troops. And the people watched that and they said, what in the world is going on? And they found out. These men rode into town and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And you know something very peculiar about that question? They expected that anybody in town would have this information. Such a great event had taken place. The greatest king in all the world has been born. All of Jerusalem should have been buzzing about this information. Surely they would know this. But when the wise men arrived, they found the entire city was in complete ignorance of it. Herod didn't know anything about it. Verse number 4 says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And then we see Herod here and the priests scrambling to get an answer to the wise men's question Nobody had told Herod about it. The priests weren't looking for it. They'd never made a fuss about a king being born. And then we look at that question of the wise men again in verse 2. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now there, you mean this king has his own star? What, what king has an own, his own star in the heavens? They didn't know about that. How could they not know about that? Well, it might be some sort of proof that the light was seen only by the wise men. They're the only ones that recognize the star. This is the way that God often works. He reveals himself whenever and to whomever he pleases. And so they asked him, where is the king? We have come to worship him. Now, I want you to notice today this very key word that we have here, the word worship. We have come to worship him. Now, thirdly, is the sanction of the king as God. 
Now, in the New Testament, the word worship is always reserved for the recognition of deity. You don't use this word unless you you mean that the one that you're going to worship is divine. Well, was that a problem for Herod? Well, of course it was. Herod was a was a wicked egomaniac. He, he, these Roman governors had this characteristic. They had a, a taste for the people to recognize them as some sort of God. In the 12th chapter of Acts, Herod's grandson, Herod Agrippa, received homage as if he were God. Acts 12 says, And upon a set day, Herod, this is Herod Agrippa, Herod's grandson, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God and not of man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and he gave up the ghost. So when these wise men came and they said, we want to worship him, Herod knew exactly what they meant. They believed that this newborn king was God. And Herod responded to that. The wise men responded to it that here's someone worthy of worship and this is why we've come. But Herod responded to it in a different way. This is someone that he needed to kill. So Herod became apprised of what the Scripture said. And although he was ignorant of the timing of the coming of Christ, he was not ignorant of this fact. He was not ignorant that the Jews said that there is a king that is coming. A king has been promised. And so when Herod heard the news, he pretended, he feigned that he would like to worship this new king also. Verse 7 says, Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again, that I may come and worship him also. Now there, Herod used the same word, worship. And there is no doubt everybody knew exactly what they meant. They were all talking about the same thing. This king that is born is divine. He is God. He is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And so for thousands of years that prophecy had been made. Finally the king has come, which means that God had come to the earth. Now what should have been great news for everybody was a cause of huge problems. It was a problem for the people because they knew that if Herod was angry about this, that they would suffer for it. Herod was a very cruel reader, a leader rather. He was, he was wont to take his anger out on the people. Herod had slaughtered his way into power. Herod was such a wicked man that he even killed his own sons because he was afraid that they would be his rivals. And so what did Herod do? Well, he thought that he would use these wise men to aid him in his plot. They would go and they would find the Christ child and they would come and report back to him and then Herod would have him immediately killed. But God warned the wise men and so Herod's plan was foiled. Verse number 12, And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So what did Herod do then? Well, he took his anger out on the people just like they were afraid that he would. And so in the 16th verse... If you were to look down there, he ordered that all the babies that were two years old and younger should be killed. And that's just part of the gruesome prophecies that went along concerning the Messiah. Herod's actions had been prophesied hundreds of years before they took place. Now that is an exceedingly terrible reaction 
to what should have been the very best news the Jews could hear. Their king was born. Their deliverer was born. And now Israel has this everlasting king to sit on the throne. But from that time all the way until the time that Jesus was crucified, he proved to be a problem for the people. The priests and the scribes never recognized him as king. They were the first ones to try him, and they persuaded Pilate finally to put him to death. The people never fully accepted him. They, they hated Rome, but as much as they hated Rome, they hated Jesus even more, and they did not want him to rule over them. So at the crucifixion, you remember that Pilate asked the chief priest, he said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. Now I hope that you understand what an astounding statement that was because that statement relates to the word worship. In, C- in, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, Caesar had God status. He was worshiped. And so here we have God's chosen nation, God's chief priest, the Jewish leaders saying, we have no king but Caesar, or in other words, we have no one to worship but Caesar. Now that brings us back to the wise men and to the place that I'd like to conclude this Christmas message. The wise men came to carry out a coronation. They weren't Jews, they were Gentiles. That's another of the striking prophecies that we find in Scripture, that the Gentiles are the first to recognize Jesus as a king, the first ones actually to accept him. This is why that we're sitting here today, and mostly you find this among Gentile peoples celebrating Christmas. The Jews don't do it still to this day. In fact, the Bible tells us that the Jews will not come to Christ as a nation. They will not receive Christ until he comes back the second time. And so it was Gentiles who first declared Jesus to be the king. And Matthew includes this story to show us the significance of having men who are the wisest of all to proclaim him as the king. Now lastly today, I'd like to consider the service to the king. Verse number 9, when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Someone had said that God never should have sent men to find Jesus because the gifts that they brought were not very practical gifts. What does a baby need with gold and frankincense and myrrh? So they say, well, God should have sent wise women and they would have brought practical gifts like pampers and baby wipes and formula and all of that. But as it turns out, this, this really was also an act of God's providence because right after the appearance of the wise men, when Herod found out that they had fooled him and they had bypassed Jerusalem and went home another way, he started a search for Jesus and he would not stop until he found Jesus and had him killed. So God sent an angel to Joseph, and we find many angels in the beginning of this story of Jesus, but he sent an angel to Joseph, and you'll find this in verse number 13, and the family took off, Uh, Joseph took the entire family, and he went to Egypt. Well, how can this poor family that 
didn't even have enough money to afford a place for the baby to be born. He was born in a stable. They had absolutely nothing. How does this poor family just pick up everything and move to Egypt? How are they going to support themselves? Well, what about the gifts? What about the gifts were brought? What could you do with the gold? Buy what you need? Trade the incense for things that you would have to have? And so God providentially cared for them, had it all arranged so they could go down into Egypt. So what seems to be the very worst that could happen, forced to leave your home because someone's trying to kill you, also turned out to be in the providence of God because Matthew turns right around and quotes more Old Testament scripture to prove to us that Jesus truly is this king. Verse 15, he says, he was in Egypt until the death of Herod and was there until the death of Herod, listen, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, out of Egypt have I called my son. Now I want you to notice how they serve the king. Do you know where your service and your worship begins? It begins with giving. If you're a wise person, you will give God your treasure. God gave the greatest gift of all to you, and God's gift was motivated by his love, and so he gave the most precious gift that he had. The Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And so these wise men did not come to worship Jesus without their gifts. And those gifts were tokens of their service to him. It was acknowledgement of his kingship and the responsibility of the king's servants to serve him. So they brought these gifts and very appropriate gifts. They brought gold. Gold represents the kingship of Christ. Gold is always associated with kings. I mentioned Solomon just a moment ago. Solomon had so much gold in his kingdom that he lined the walls of his palace with gold. In the tabernacle and the temple worship, there were items of gold, which were emblems of Christ's kingship and of his deity. That was recognition that he is truly the Lord of all. One of the articles of furniture in the tabernacle and temple that comes to my mind is the Ark of the Covenant, the one that Indiana Jones found. The Ark of the Covenant... Uh, The ark was a wooden box that was overlaid with gold. And it was very highly symbolic because the wood that this box was made of represented the humanity of Christ. And it was overlaid with the gold which represented his deity and his kingship. And so these wise men bring gold because they were acknowledging that this human baby is actually God. They also brought frankincense. That is a... An, uh, um, an incense that's in constant use by the priest at the temple. And that was a picture that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And a high priest in a very special way because he's not only a priest that offers the sacrifice, he is actually the sacrifice. Different from any of the high priests. And frankincense was just another way to show that he was God. And they believed in him as God. Then they brought myrrh very strange gift for a baby because myrrh is for the anointing of the dead. Doesn't sound like a great gift for a baby, but it was actually recognition that Jesus would die for our sins. And so in these gifts, we see who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what it would cost him to do it. And so even the wise men, even though the wise men might not have made all of those connections of why God would have them bring these gifts, they certainly did know this, that these gifts should be given. God knew what they were for. 
The gold is for his kingship, frankincense to show that he is deity, and myrrh to show that he is man. When you come to Christ and you bring him his service, your service, this is when you acknowledge that he is Lord of all and he deserves to be worshipped. So the wise men followed this star, a special supernatural light that brought them to the place where Jesus lived. The good news for us today is we can still follow a light to find Jesus. You might not see a bright light in the sky. I don't think that you're going to go out tonight and see a star that has the name Jesus written under it. But you can follow a supernatural light that tells you exactly who Jesus is. And that supernatural light is the Word of God. We find the story in the Bible. And friend, if you're looking for Jesus today, you can find him. He can come and live in your heart. God doesn't use stars to bring people to Jesus. There isn't a literal star for you to see. But God uses a different kind of light. He uses his people and he uses his word. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're the one that's supposed to point people to him. So this is a great story. Uh, Matthew has a very important purpose for telling us about these wise men. Jesus changed the course of history forever. He was declared to be the king, and if he is the king, then there's only one thing that we can do today, and that is we must bow to his majesty. He is the king. Bow down and worship him, for this is your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and this great story that we read about Jesus Christ, the Savior, has come into the world. The king is here. God in the flesh came to this world to give himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Lord, I help, hope that you will help people today to see Jesus beyond the birth in the manger and see him as a, as a man who lived here upon this earth, a sinless man who lived here and kept all of your commandments perfectly and then died on the cross and then he took that perfect righteousness that he had earned by keeping the law perfectly and he transfers it to us when we believe in you. Help us, Lord, to understand there's nothing that we can do to be righteous in your eyes. Only the grace of God can save us. So, Lord, we pray that we'd look, for, look to you today. We pray that everyone here would worship you as their king and as their savior. May we bow down before you today and proclaim you as our king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.